Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. He sees Lewis and Lewis and Hamilton get that close and not crash, and he's just like, "Oh, what? Why did that not happen?" When I've tried to overtake him, who's Lewis and Hamilton? Oh wait, what did I say? <laughs> Lewis and Hamilton. Oh, sorry, <laughs> never mind. It's lights out and away we go. Is that going? Is that And welcome to the Cuts of the Race podcast. It is the Spanish Grand Prix weekend, and oh my gosh, what a race it was, which is not normal for Spain, really. It's normally quite boring, uh, especially in 2016. It was pretty boring, I think. Um, <laughs> I'm scarred from that year. <laughs> no, 2016, yeah, something happened that year that makes you not like it. I can't think what. You'll have to remind us. Uh, I really hope your therapist is listening to this all like, ah, repression. That's probably what it is. You know, I've, I've, I've not liked the Spanish Grand Prix since then. Um, that was, of course, Hamilton and Rosberg colliding on the first lap. Um, but anyway, we'll get on to that race. We've got Dan the Bottas fan. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. That was a very good race, considering it was Spain, so I'm quite happy. Good. And uh, we have Matt. How are you? I'm a little bit traumatized because I have a bad feeling I'm going to agree with Dan a lot today, and I am not prepared to deal with that mentally. No, neither am I. <laughs> There's one thing you won't agree on, which is that uh, Bottas didn't have a great race. <sighs> we'll get on to that. We'll get on to that. Okay, we'll get on to that. Um, <laughs> before we get on to talking about the Spanish Grand Prix, uh, let's talk about the news. Uh, Dan, over to you. Yes, I suppose the biggest bit of news from the last week would be Grosjean being announced as having that fairy tale test with Mercedes um, at Paul Ricard in June after Toto Wolff said that he didn't want Grosjean's last act in an F1 car to be that tragic crash that he had in Bahrain. So, yes, he had his seat fit at Mercedes preparing for a series of show laps in the W10 so a couple of seasons old car before the actual French Grand Prix and then he has a test day after the French Grand Prix. So I'm really excited for that. Sorry, I didn't know it was the W10. So that's two years old, that car. Yeah. <laughs> is that because they don't trust him? <laughs> it's because a two-year-old Mercedes is still five years ahead of any Haas. That, that's, that's true. That's, that's true. true. That is very true. I wonder I, I wonder how um, how much insurance they needed to uh, allow Grosjean into that car. <laughs> All I want is, I know we make a lot of Top Gear references, but do you remember when uh, Richard Hammond drove the R25 and just started screaming, oh my God, when he drove it? I imagine yeah. that Roman Grosjean is going to have something very similar. Like, oh, this is what speed feels like. Hello, old friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's done the seat fitting. He was wearing someone else's uh, Mercedes outfit, wasn't he? He's wearing Stoffel Van Dorn's Mercedes suit because obviously Mercedes didn't have a suit for him. So when he was in the well, pictures, he 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 tactfully, not doing it. he stood like like this, 
covering the um, uh, for the listeners. I'm 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 covering my uh, belt area. Wedding veg. <laughs> My belly, um, and uh, yeah. So he was he was wearing someone else's um, suit, but the eagle-eyed fans caught out on one of the videos. Uh, what else is going on, Dan? Um, we have Ferrari's announcement that ninety-five percent of their resources are going to be shifted onto their twenty twenty-two car, which of course poses the question: Are other teams going to do the same? Especially looking at teams like McLaren that are challenging them very closely this year. Will they now need to do the same tactic to challenge them closely next year? I understand Ferrari's way of thinking in this in that nobody really expected them to be as competitive as I dare say they are right now. But, you know, looking at the Constructors' Championship standings right now for third, they're only five points off McLaren. So if you're McLaren and you hear that Ferrari is abandoning (laughs) basically this year, developmentally speaking, McLaren has nothing to lose by just continuing on this year, getting themselves a better leg up financially and coming into 22 a little bit stronger, even though the car may not be as, as developed, do we really think Ferrari is going to reinvent the wheel and have that same technological breakthrough of like the, the split turbo housing that Mercedes had with the V6 hybrid area? I don't really understand why, if you're in so close a battle, that the fans and the F1 world want to see this go, you know what? Yeah, we're fighting for third. What's that, 2022? Oh, yeah, coming. It just... It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, for Ferrari, they got caught out so badly with the regs in 2014 that that's just haunted them till this day. Um, Obviously, we know Haas are doing zero development this year. They have completely written it off. They are going for um, 2022, we believe. Um, I was thinking about this earlier, actually, and uh, what I was thinking was, you know, if you're Mercedes, you just get more staff in to work on your 2022, things like that. But they can't because we've got the spend cap now. So when we're saying that they are putting in, that they're moving 95% away, it's not that they're bringing in extra people to do that. They're moving the complete focus off. That's actually giving me an interesting thought. Do you think Haas kind of forced Ferrari's hand a little bit by saying we are a Ferrari supplied team and we know we're going to be absolute bottom tier this year. We have two rookies. We just want them to survive the season. Well, we want one of them to survive the season. And by forcing their developmental change to have a fully integrated chassis with the engine, did that force Ferrari to kind of say, okay, we have to divert? I I mean, knowing Ferrari like we do, I don't think they'd be told by Haas what to do. Um, That's just my opinion. But it's a good point. You know, Haas are obviously paying them. Um, But then, then it really sparks up the debate of what about Mercedes and Red Bull? Because you've got... Red Bull looking just behind Mercedes at the moment, we'd say. But they're within touching distance, aren't they? So they could still go for this and reap the rewards, or they focus flat out on next year. Then I think Red Bull will be really keen to do to Mercedes what Mercedes did to Red Bull in 2014 and just completely change this one-two around so Red Bull will want to get back on top. But I also think McLaren are probably the favourites to spring a surprise in 2022 and become a top team again because their trajectory in the last few years has been incredible. They've gone from you know complete backmarkers to third, fourth, and that's obviously the ambition for Haas leading into the new regulations. But I don't know. I feel like Mercedes will still come out of these new regulations on top. I'd love to be wrong and I'd love for it to be a really close battle, but... The resources and money, I know it's in a cost cap environment, but the money and the expertise Mercedes have got, 
I feel might keep them ahead. I think it's interesting to mention the cost cap, and this is something I hadn't considered on this story, uh, which I'm sorry to steal your thunder, Dan. Uh, you know, Red Bull announced that they had, what, nine engineers from Mercedes Power Plant Development go over to them uh, recently. I wonder if the reason Mercedes isn't really throwing a fit about that is maybe that helped them with the cost cap. You know, if you're having to downsize your overall staffing, you know, you have to have people take on more than one role just to make sure you come in under that cap. So if you lose the guy in charge of the axle shafts, but you still maintain the overall chassis designer, you know, how hard, that's a bad example, but how hard are you hurting? Uh, I think the cost cap could be the reason that Mercedes and Red Bull kind of come together on this. That's a really weird way of Ollie inspiring me there. I do think it would have sort of hit Mercedes a bit how Red Bull have suddenly come along and been able to take all of these people that, you know, like Ben Hodgkinson and all the other people that they've taken. I do think Mercedes will kind of be like, whoa, what, how coming into new regulations when we need a new engine and a good one, how have they suddenly been able to take all these professionals off of us? So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Cash money, mate. (laughs) They've obviously come with a better package for them. Um, That's true, that's true. And maybe even, uh, you know... uh, Somewhere where they can, they feel that they can make a really big difference. You know, this is starting from fresh. These people are top of their game, and maybe they just need a bit of excitement. Um, you never know. But the other thing is, the factories are very close together, so it's not it's not like these people are all relocating or anything. It's just like you know, if I use a football example, Harry Kane moved to Arsenal. If they're moving to their closest rival. That would have been the kick in the teeth more, I think, than the fact they've moved to another team the fact that they've moved to someone that's such a close rival to them. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely straying into our next news topic, which was obviously the staff moving over. Um, I thought it was 15 people, wasn't it? I was tracking 10 from the original headline, but there could have been more since I read that. Uh, I think the thing that fascinates me the most about that is with the new engine redesign, I'd be very, very curious, which we never will know, but I would love to know where Mercedes is in that R&D testing developmental phase of this new engine implementation. If you literally have the guy just sitting down at his desk going, right, new design. What's that, Red Bull? You're hiring? Cool. How much? And then he leaves, you know, that that's almost better than if they had started testing the principles that the engine will be built upon, if they're already doing, you know, composites testings or things like that nature. And all of a sudden, you know, the brains of that outfit are then plucked out in the middle of it. Uh, that could be a pretty devastating and sneakily genius move by Red Bull, uh, but I'd, it's going to be wild. That's just another weird thing to think about going into 2022 is how this could have impacted Mercedes' development. Yeah, so so just to correct on, on, on the facts, so far at the time of recording, um, Red Bull are reported to have approached over 100 Mercedes staff, um, and to this moment they have uh, signed 15 of them. So yeah, they're, and those they're, were uh, all from the those were all from the engine developmental program. They were all from Mercedes HPP. That's wild. I mean, there's an easier way Red Bull could have done this. They could have done like some old style Pink Panther moving around to the buildings, just like paint over the logo out front, and so the Mercedes employees are just walking in, like, "Hey guys, nerdy here, at Mercedes. Why is that Red Bull on the wall? <laughs> it doesn't matter." And keep working. Then they come to find out they've all been brought over. No, that, that's a stroll trick uh, with Racing Point and Aston Martin. <laughs> it's, there's a precedent. <laughs> and I was, I was actually at Silverstone the day that they changed the sign over, so this building didn't even have a sign on it. You could just see the, 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 the sort of the, uh, the, the outline of the old Racing Point logo. 
the thing is, is that the regulations for 2022, they've been delayed a year, haven't they? So it may be that Mercedes have already done all the work. It, you know, the majority of it's done. Now it's just fine tuning. Whereas your Hasses, your Ferraris, they haven't done the work yet because they were not in the best position at the time to do it. So, you know, don't forget, they've had an extra year. That's a good point. They, they could have, have already prepared. They have, but in the same breath, you know, even if we have that extra year of developmental lead-in time and with the cost cap, why bring on all those people and allow yourselves to be destabilized by leaving Mercedes and going to Red Bull if there's not a contractual obligation there to, to retain you for a period of time that makes it worth your while? Yeah, there's got to be gardening leave. You know, pe- people who, who make influence on... Um, big decisions and, and, and technical, they will probably, you know, not be able to work for a year or six months or whatever it is. I'm absolutely certain that will be the case. Non-competes. Exactly. Next up on the news front, we have the fact that the Turkish Grand Prix is now at risk after it was placed on the UK's travel red list for coronavirus hotspots, which could be an issue. Obviously, Turkey replaced Canada, and now, will we need to find a replacement for Turkey? I know Magello's been thrown around as a potential thing. This is all rumours, obviously. But I'd be gutted if we lost Turkey. I love that circuit. Ham's yeah, pretty good. It, and, and it's terrible that it, they only announced it about a week ago as well. <laughs> and now the UK government come in and go, nope. Yeah. Um, they're comparing it to a certain um, other sports event that's going on in Turkey at the time, aren't they? We don't talk about other sports on this podcast. Um yeah, the Chelsea. Oh, I see. Yeah, the Champions League final. I'm They're glad comparing... you're talking, Dan. I had no idea what he was on about. <laughs> no, I don't think I did. <laughs> They're comparing it to the Champions League final, but, you know, I think a football team's a lot smaller than an F1 team. So, um, obviously, being on the red list means that you can't travel from the UK to Turkey. That's the rule. Is there any expectation for the UK's government to reach like a compromise with Turkey or any di- diplomatic solution to be found there? I know that was on the table for a while, but I honestly haven't followed up in the last couple of days. I think it's possible because obviously F1 have one of the most rigorous testing regimes of anyone anywhere in the world. So if any group of people was going to be able to reach a compromise, it'd be F1. But it still doesn't mean they will reach one. The thing is, if, if a country is on the UK's amber list, it means you can go there, but not for leisure. So you can go there for business purposes. If it's on the red list, it seems like a pretty firm decision has been made for me. Obviously, all the F1 teams, are, well, the majority are based in the UK. Um, we'll see. I mean, they made it happen during a worldwide travel ban, didn't they? So uh, anything, is, anything is possible. Let's hope it doesn't drop off because that's one less race. Um, I wouldn't be against having uh, Azerbaijan two weeks in a row, though, because um, that's the race before it, isn't it? Yeah, one thing they mentioned was swapping them around or doing something with the order and changing the Baku order. I can't remember exactly how it was done, but as long as I get Baku, I'm not bothered because I really like that circuit, and Bottas goes quite well there. <laughs> but one of the rare places that he does, yeah. Yep. Uh, anything else, Dan? Um... Linking into the race we had in Spain, Lewis Hamilton, first ever driver to 100 poles. You've got to applaud that. That Love him or hate him, that's an incredible achievement. So it's not just the car. Who was in second for the amount of poles, Dan? I believe it's Shumi on something like 68. 68. It's like a long way behind. Yeah, so th- I mean, this is, this is, this is incredible. Um, Sky did a, 
Sorry, Matt, you won't have seen it, but Sky did a, uh, a pre-race show today called uh, Qualifying Masterclass with Lewis Hamilton, and it was it was a real insight to how his brain works. And I picked up on a few things. One, he doesn't do track walks. All the other drivers do track walks. Um, two, he doesn't use the simulator. He said he might do 20 laps a year on the simulator, whereas, you know, Max Verstappen does 20 laps an hour on a simulator. Um, and... The third thing was, he said, for me, a race weekend is about conserving energy, not spending it on other things. And I just thought that was very interesting. Um, so, yeah, well well done to Lewis with 100. Will we ever see anyone beat that? I would be inclined to say no if these new regulations work the way F1 wants them to work and bring teams closer together. It's because Mercedes, it's not because Mercedes have been so dominant in these few years. But that has helped Lewis get that 100 poles. It's not just the car, because he's beaten Bottas and the like to that number by quite a few poles. Uh, but I would be inclined to say no, based on these new regulations, bringing the class cars closer together. I also think the longevity of time. I mean, we're talking his first pole was 2007, correct? You know, here we are 14 years later. That's a fairly significant stint to be competitive the entire way through, granted. Lewis Hamilton got poles and wins he should not have gotten in those early days at McLaren, uh, which will leave more credence to how amazing he is. This is coming from a Ferrari guy. Uh, but we all thought that Schumacher's records would never be even touched. And Hamilton has absolutely blitzed them. Like him, love him, hate him, whatever. You have to put into perspective 14 years, 100 poles, who else is going to dominate that level? Sebastian Vettel at his time at Red Bull with the four-year stint there as World Drivers Champion never even came close to the percentages of poles that Lewis Hamilton is getting. It's I do not see a way unless you literally have somebody like Juan Manuel Fangio come back out and he put his head on top of a robotic body. I don't see a way of this ever being close. <laughs> that was, uh, let's not say that. That's a disturbing <laughs> thought. <laughs> the, the other thing well, I was going to... Futurama, where they have the heads in, like, the jars. <laughs> oh, gosh. The other thing I was going to mention was Lewis, when he came into the sport, came into a championship challenging winning team with McLaren. You don't really see that with rookies anymore. They come into your... Alfa Romeos, your Hasses, your Alfa Tauris, midfield or back markers. You're not going to see someone enter into the sport in a Mercedes anymore, which obviously is the top team now. So that will also make it harder. He's been able to challenge throughout all of his career. Not all of it. Like, okay, come it, on, Matt. there's not a few years in the but middle. Also, but also, if these regular, you kind of have made me reverse my stance, Dan. If the regulation changes make everybody eat more equal, and on more level pairing, won't all the teams, quote-unquote, have a chance of being that front-runner, that potential contender? True. Then then Hamilton would still be, have another 100, wouldn't he? <laughs> okay, so let's move on to the race today that we saw. Uh, it was the Spanish Grand Prix. We didn't have one last year, did we? No, we didn't. And we didn't have testing there this year either, which... Maybe that's why the race was better. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, what I will say is that the F3 race there this weekend, well, races, there were three of them, they were spicy. There was drama all the way through it. There was good overtaking. It really set the weekend up well for um, for the new race. Um, this new corner that they had there, I'll be honest with you, I barely even noticed the difference. 
No, I didn't massively, to be honest. I, it was a bit slippy during Friday practice with the new tarmac and sort of drivers were struggling to find their feet a bit on it. But by the time you got to Saturday, it was you wouldn't have known. I think the only way that that turn even made a impact on the race, was, I feel there was a little bit more exaggerated wear in the race on the tires this week. And I don't know if that was due to atmospheric changes from practice to the race. But that is a very, very long sweeping corner that's going to load that front left like nobody's business. However, we heard the most complaints about the rears, which is standard procedure. So I don't know if it really made that much of a difference at all. And if you're the guy that paid for that, like, oh, it's going to make the racing incredible. Nobody's using our turn. Cool. Yeah, no return on investment there. There were a few, there were a couple of Formula 3 overtakes there, but that's that's a whole different a whole different reason that's downfalls and all sorts um qualifying so what do we what did we think of quality yesterday i quite enjoyed it i thought it was quite unpredictable right to the last i know not everyone within our team let alone in the world thought that i thought it was i thought it was quite good unpredictable we had a couple of shocks with yuki going out in q1 and then saying some things in the media that he shouldn't have said but i enjoyed it yeah, uh, what did Yuki say? He claimed that he thought he might have a different car to his teammate or it's set up in a completely different way or something like that, which is not the thing you want to say when you're four races in with a brand new team. No, it was it was very unprofessional. He's he's I think he may have learned his lesson now about he needs to calm the hell down and stop being so hot-headed, hot-headed. Um but he could have been right cuz didn't he break down today? His car stalled. He broke down. I don't think that has anything to do with his driving. Uh, yeah, he had a different imagine. car, right? It wasn't Gasly's who broke down. I think somebody <laughs> should have slipped that man a Xanax before every race <laughs> to kind of keep him on an even keel. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame because he, he, he just has not delivered and now he's starting to look a little bit silly. So, yeah, he's going to have to make a few changes there. Um. What else happened in qualifying? So we had um, Leclerc in fourth. That was a good result. He's making a habit of this P4 this season, which I think is the most he can extract from that Ferrari. It's essentially the best of the rest spot this season. The old, what, P, what would have been P7, P4 now. Yeah, I'm amazed he hasn't changed his number to four just because of the branding alone. I mean, if you look back even to last year when Ferrari was... Uh, forced into compliance with the regulations, I guess you could say. Uh, it, it seems like he always finds himself in P4, whether he should be there or not. If other people have bad qualities, if he gets hindered by traffic, what have you, just uh, the man needs to buy a lottery ticket with nothing but the number four on it at this point. that That's his home. He owns it. <laughs> we'll, we'll let him know. Um, Sergio Perez, another disappointing qualifying, eighth. Yeah, he really hasn't got to grips with that. Red Bull, has he? He shows promising race pace every week and it went a bit wrong in Imola, but he hasn't got the one lap pace. I know he said he was feeling ill or his shoulder hurt or something like that. But yeah, P8 in a Red Bull is, that's Albon territory. That's not where he should be. It's not quite Albon territory, is it? Albon territory was spinning out and not qualifying. Hey, I like like the guy. I'm not saying anything (laughs) bad about him. I know we'll touch on this later in the podcast as well when we get into the actual race, but 
there's something to be said about just how big of an ask it is to have that one lap magic and qualifying because, you know, we're going to talk about all the new drivers and the new cars with new teams later on in the race. But nobody has really been able to put together a fantastic qualifying that new car. You know, Sainz hasn't. Uh, Perez hasn't. Ricardo hasn't. Ricardo hasn't. Ricardo, I felt, has been a little bit, well, he has been, no, a little bit, has been better at it, at adapting to that McLaren than Checo has the Red Bull. And I think that's something to be said about the way these cars handle with heavy fuel loads versus not and all of that. Uh, You know, I don't know. I would love to be able to talk to somebody on that. Checo, come talk to us, please. But uh, it's very interesting to me to see the discrepancies between how these new drivers and new cars handle on Saturday and then it's almost like they do a factory reset and then coming into the race on Sunday, that's that's more of a continuation of the norm and they're able to get a better feel for the car as it goes throughout the race. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there, Matt. I think um, to just just to wrap up on, on the qualifying, look at, look at um, Alpine, Alpine. Look at Alpine. It's, it was incredible what they did. You had Ocon on P5 and you had Alonso P10. I mean, that's incredible pace. That was very strong compared to when you think about where they were at bar range. You know, Ocon didn't make it out of Q1. They've come a long way, whether that's the track or just hard work. It worked, whatever it is. I think we have to tip the hat to Ocon. You know, I will be talking about another driver I feel has elevated his racecraft later on. But Esteban Ocon has elevated his racecraft significantly. Uh, if anybody had told me, that, is, has he been outqualified by Alonso even once yet? Because he's been a six, a five, and a six that I know of in qualifying. I don't think Alonso's even gotten into the top ten. A lot of it. he would have done it the first race when Ocon got knocked out in Q one um, because he right, got caught out right. of the yeah he, got, he, which wasn't really any fault of Ocon's. Uh, if nope. anybody had told me that going into the season, I would have scoffed. There's no way I would have taken that bet. And there he sits. You know, tip of the hat to the entire team at Alpine, but specifically to Esteban Ocon. I quite like Ocon because he he really proves he's come from nothing to get where he is. He's not really rich. He doesn't have a racing family. You know, his parents drove around in a caravan for many, many years so he could race carts. And now he's in F1. I really like Ocon for that reason. So I'm glad that he's... Spanking a two-time world champion of a teammate. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, and then, yeah, the top three, we had Lewis, like we've said, with his 100th pole. Um, Verstappen just behind him in second, and Valtteri Bottas in third. So, the race, lap one, pretty dramatic. Corner one, pretty dramatic. Um, Max doesn't piss around, does he? No, he does not. He had a better start than Hamilton, got alongside Hamilton, and how they didn't touch and wipe each other out in turn one, I still don't know, and I've had time to watch it back many times. They were millimetres apart. And same as Imola. They were in Imola as well, but somehow they haven't collided on the first lap yet. I don't know how. I was actually, I don't remember who wrote the article, forgive me on this, but somebody was talking the other day about the level of respect that Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen have for each other that allow them to have those incredible starts because they know the other one will be in charge of the car. Uh they basically remind me of Luke Skywalker and Star Wars, like driving on the force, how they they traded electrons today. I refused anybody to refute me on that. Uh, 
it was awe-inspiring to see them come that close, the reaction times, and the knowledge of where to place the car, when to brake, all of that. Max had the upper hand today, but you still, it, it's superpowers. It's the only way I know how to describe it, how good those two are. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Max Verstappen was in Lewis Hamilton's blind spot. Lewis has said this in, in an interview after the race. He didn't know where he was going into that corner because your mirror points behind you and your head can only go so far, right? He didn't know that he was there. But he also, we're, we're looking at an older Lewis Hamilton who he knows inside the mind of Max Verstappen. He knows what he's going to do. If he can't see him in the blind in the blind spot, he knows where he is, right? And he also knows that Max is going to go for that. And I think the many years of Lewis Hamilton has taught him it's not all about the first corner. Um, you may disagree in Monaco, but um, for for the purposes of of this race, it wasn't all about the first corner. Then, either way, law of probability. If they're doing that at every race, eventually they will crash at some point in the season. We've got 23 races this season. If they're getting that close every race, surely at some point things are going to come to a head and they're going to wipe each other out. I'm going to say the law of probability has been the previous years because there have been all those touches between those two and they've been close. And I think Lewis Hamilton is realizing, and I, dang it, I'm agreeing with Ollie again. I don't like this, that Lewis Hamilton has realized it's better to preserve and set yourself up for the long game, which we've, we learn Mercedes is good at uh, instead of, you know, Max is going to go for that gap every single time because he knows, especially this year, that Mercedes has has a little bit more pace on him. He's not going to be able to chase Lewis down at the end. So he has to get ahead of that first corner and then rely on strategy and going that little bit further on his tires to maintain an advantage. So Lewis is able to the Wiley Fox is able to sit there and go, go ahead. You can have this corner. You can have the first lap. You can have the first 47 laps. But in the end. We all know what's going to happen because he is that he's thinking that far ahead in that car. Absolutely. And, and, you know, if if Lewis had the same attitude he had in the past or he had the same attitude of Max Verstappen, like you said, Dan, they would have crashed today. There's absolutely no two ways about it. Lewis had to avoid him because he, he, he threw it. It was a karting move. He just chucked it down from potentially it was a risky move. It was it was the same as we saw in Imola. It was a risky move, but then again, if you no longer go for a cap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver, as the old adage says. Or was that Murray Walker? Is that Murray Walker? Or Edin yes, Senna? it is, yeah. Uh, no, I'm not sure. But also, if you're Alex Albon and you go for a gap that isn't even there, then we see what happens with him and Lewis Hamilton. So it's there's talent on both sides, but I think it's the strategic decision-making of Lewis Hamilton that prevailed. Alex Albon in the garage must have been cursing his luck. He sees Lewis and Lewis and Hamilton get that close and not crash, and he's just like, "Oh, what? Why did that not happen?" When I've tried to overtake him twice for a podium, who's Lewis and Hamilton? Oh wait, what did I say? Lewis and Hamilton. Oh, sorry, never mind. <laughs> but he, Lewis wasn't the only Mercedes to drop a place at the start, was he? Dan, the Bottas fan. <laughs> I'm just deliberately not saying anything. No, Bottas lost a place to Leclerc, who Bottas got a better start to be well, Leclerc had a better start, and then Bottas got the toe off Hamilton and went into turn one ahead. He then got impeded by Hamilton returning to the track, or Verstappen turning to the track one of the two after their slight bump in corner one. And then completely lost momentum and then Leclerc just sailed around the outside and Bottas basically admitted himself he was caught napping and didn't see Leclerc there 
and that ruined his race really he was stuck behind him for too long to challenge no 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 being behind Leclerc not Hamilton coming back on I'm saying just in general him losing that place ruined his race I am going to uh, sink my teeth into this debate early. Uh, number one, I think that is the lack of tactical decision making on Valtteri Botas's part. You put your headphones back on and catch this whooping, Dan. Uh, Valtteri Botas should have known that Lewis Hamilton was coming back on. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton's not just going to pull her to the side of the road and be like, oh, I didn't get it in the first corner. I'm going to park it up. But the biggest thing for me is Lewis Hamilton, if Botas and Hamilton had swapped, Lewis Hamilton would have been past Charles Leclerc within the first four laps. As a Ferrari fan, I completely believe that. The telling thing for me is how long Charles Leclerc in the slower car kept Botas at bay. And I don't think it's fair to chalk it up to Hamilton stopped him. I think Botas stopped himself today a little bit mentally when he had his little game plan, what he's going to do in the first five turns or so. And that goes out the window. You have Simper Gumby, always flexible. You've got to come back. You have to be resilient as a race driver. And Botas, I imagine, I don't want to use the word petulant, but I would be frustrated to see Hamilton come in and cut me off like that. But then you go, okay, get around Charles and let's go again. The only problem is he didn't get around Charles. And so you had you had Hamilton keeping up with Verstappen um, very closely, which was impressive, uh, like we've seen before. And then you had, uh, I think it was up to about 12 seconds behind, you had... Uh, Leclerc and then Bottas keeping on him. Um, We then had a safety car, didn't we? So Yuki went um, uh, boom. His car went boom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And a safety car came out. And I messaged Dan and I said, mate, happy Christmas or happy birthday, whatever I said. We both did. Like instantly. (laughs) Here's your chance. What you going to do with it? But I don't think, I think that had so much more benefit to Lewis than it did to Bottas because it was just at that point that Bottas was finally beginning to close the gap on Charles and he would have overtaken him within a couple of laps. But no, Matt, let me talk. I <laughs> see so you're trying to talk. <laughs> I want to make my point. I want to defend Bottas. Um, but Lewis was just beginning to lose Max slightly and then, I mean, he ne- didn't overtake him anyway. But yeah, I think that safety car helped Lewis more than it helped but, uh, Bottas. Go on then. I feel that yeah, it's impossible to sit there and say that Valtteri Bottas could not have capitalized on that. I will stand by that until the day I die. Uh, Valtteri Bottas is not a – he's not in the same league as Lewis Hamilton. Dare I say that he's not in the league as Max and Charles because on that restart with the qualifying times that were set and the pace differential, Lewis Hamilton was keeping <laughs> – ice cream vans back outside – uh, Lewis Hamilton was keeping pace with Max Verstappen and they dropped an eight second gap. They gap ties Charles Leclerc, but with them being in the same equipment, Valtteri and Lewis, surely he can overtake Charles there. Granted, Charles is a brilliant defender, but on pace alone, it's just picking your places. Not to say that I could do it, but I'm not paid to do it. Valtteri goofed up and that is on nobody, but Valtteri Botas's shoulders. I don't know what to say. I love you, boo. <laughs> So really, the the story of this race um, became Hamilton hunting down Verstappen, didn't it? Um, I think it's it's fair to say, even when Bottas finally got past Leclerc, he was still, he wasn't in the game, was he? Reminds me of Toto Wolff's message, which he said to Valtteri uh, in Imola, but he would have obviously said it to Lewis. This race would be like, hunt him down, Lewis, hunt him down. 
which is literally what he had to do and what he did. It, it, it was it was clearly very difficult to stay with, uh, well, to, to, to stay behind Verstappen, let alone pass him. Um, so that shows you how much progress that Red Bull has had that Mercedes, on a, what they call a Mercedes track, um, couldn't get past easily. Yeah, so then by the first round of pit stops, Bottas pitted before Charles, who was obviously ahead of him at this point. And by the time then Leclerc took his pit stop, Bottas was about seven seconds in the lead. He was absolutely miles ahead. Um, and that became the theme of the day really Mercedes strategy was incredible which I know we'll get onto but that was the first bit of genius that they had and they had many more bits of genius throughout the day all I'll say on that is you know Ollie and I were discussing well we were all discussing during the race that at one point the gap from Botox to Charles was the same as the gap from Hamilton for Stappen and then how that's separate but equal almost in the comparative rates there uh Mercedes strategically masterclass today uh, they were in a league of their own. They caught the entire field napping, and I think that was apparent <laughs> with uh, the way Ferrari refused to or wasn't unable to respond. Max Verstappen completely had to undo his strategy to uh, stay in front, which didn't help anyways. Uh, tip of the hat to Mercedes. They got everything right, with the exception of one thing in my book, which we'll get to later in the uh, review. Before we get into uh, more of the Mercedes and Red Bull stuff, I just want to kind of uh, put my foot in my mouth a little bit and talk about somebody that we've given a little bit of flack to on this podcast, uh, Mr. Lance Stroll. Uh, Lance Stroll had arguably, in my opinion, the best move of the race in his first overtake of Fernando Alonso today. Uh, Honestly, we talk about everybody preparing over the winter break, getting in shape, elevating their race craft. I defy anybody to say that anybody has made more progress than Lance Stroll between last year and this year. He passed Fernando Alonso twice on track today, and they were brilliant, brilliant, beautiful overtakes. His qualifying pace is up, and this car is nowhere near as competitive as it was last year. I think we have to say, well, flipping done, Lance Stroll. And this is coming from a man that did not like Lance Stroll last season, just so the listeners know just how dramatic that is that Matt said that. But no, Lance has clearly stepped up his game massively, and I'm not sure the daddy's money argument is valid anymore. I do think he deserves that seat now. Daddy's money doesn't buy the killer instinct for that overtake on the outside of Fernando. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, I believe I used the throwing up emoji when I said I was going to sing his praises, but we have to be fair. We have to be just in our evaluation and honestly, if Lance Stroll had finished one or two places higher, I would have probably given him my vote for driver of the day. And that's not even being uh, Whoa. exaggerating. Uh, I'm, I'm going to move us on slightly. Uh, <laughs> Where's the fight? There's no fight. There's no <laughs> fight. I agree. I agree. I think I agree as well. Um, oh, this is annoying. We all agree. Lap, uh, it was lap 24 when um, Hamilton eventually got into the DRS, DRS range of Max Verstappen. And then Max dived into the pit, didn't he? And he had a slow stop. Yeah, he did. I think it was four point something seconds. Um, but from what Christian Horner was saying is they, they knew Max was going to box and then they started getting ready and then Max was just there. And then they kind of went, oh, crap, uh, get the tyres, quick, run. Um, so, yeah, Red Bull had a bit of a, a bit of a howler. But in terms of how bad it could have gone, it wasn't too badly. If you compare it to Antonio Giovinazzi's pit stop earlier in the race, which was 30 plus seconds, 
it's not too bad in the grand scheme of things. Well, it, it's, it's actually come out now that um, Rempel didn't know Verstappen was coming in. Verstappen called himself in. Um, so they saw oh. him coming down the pit lane and then they had to, <laughs> uh, had, had to quickly prepare for him. And, and actually, um, Christian Horner said it was an incredibly fast stop considering they didn't know he was coming. Um, so whilst it looked like we for, uh, Red Bull just messed it up, um, that's because they didn't know that Max was coming into the pits. I remember when we were watching that live, it felt almost like Keystone Cops because there were still mechanics running out with the tires. When you put that in perspective of them doing the speed limit down the pit lane, Red Bull's about, what, the fifth garage spot down that pit lane to go into the garage, get the right tires, and then come back out? Okay, that paints in a completely different light. Yeah, and Helmut Marcos said um, Max apparently um, misinterpreted a radio message, which is why he suddenly turned up. Verstappen had a slow stop. Lewis went on for another lap, and... um, Verstappen came out ahead again, didn't he? Mercedes initially said to Lewis to go long, and then he came in a couple of laps later, and I was kind of just like, oh, that wasn't really long, was it? Um, yeah, so, then, we, so we expected Lewis to, to go straight into the pits, but he did his old, my tyres are gone, and then when it came to it, my tyres are fine, um, as you pointed out, Dan, during the race. So, uh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton stayed out for an extra... <laughs> 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 And I'm near Patrick Filius Sancti. Please keep please keep that in the recording. Please that has keep to that stay. In the recording. <laughs> Gonna go again. Anyone else want to take this bit? So initially, uh I can't stop laughing at all these explosion. Uh oh, you got it, bro. Max Verstappen came into the pits without them expecting him. Lewis stayed out for another six laps and then pitted for the medium tire. Which Essentially, meant that he had given up that um, that gap with Verstappen. So he made, he had six laps, six, 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 six. The devil. He had six laps, newer tires, but he was another five seconds down. Um, then it really got interesting. It was um, Lewis was straight back behind him, but he couldn't pass. And just at the moment, I thought Lewis was going to overtake Verstappen out of nowhere. He just dived straight back into the pits for a second stop, didn't he? I mean, did you guys see that coming? Nope. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone in the F1 world saw that coming. No, I'll tell you who definitely did not see it coming. Red Bull. I wish I had been riding along with them to listen to the team comms. I would have loved to hear the flurry of discussions going on there. Like, what's he doing? Oh, no. And then trying to figure out a way to cover that off. Uh, and that very quickly took the initiative away from Red Bull. Uh, Mercedes forced Max to stay out there. Uh, was it 2019 Hungary, where he had to extend the tire life? You know, just basically out there as a sitting duck. Uh, Lewis Hamilton essentially painted the target on Max's back, and once he left that pit stop with a decent pit stop, he'd already pulled the trigger. It was going to be difficult with a certain car number nine always impeding uh, with blue flags, but. I, that was almost a done deal, even though we couldn't really see it there for them to make that call. The, the pace was there and we knew it. Red Bull would have been fine if they'd sort of seen it coming, but but they would have had to pit Max the next lap in order for it to neutralise it. But I think they were so surprised by it and they spent a lap kind of going, oh, well, what should we do? Oh, it's too late to do anything now. And then Max was always on the back foot from there. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this was Red Bull trying to keep the win. They knew that if they pitted Max the next lap, he would be in second because Lewis had built up such a momentum. Uh, then with fresh tyres, hammer time, he, w- he, would, have, he would have essentially um, uh, jumped him. So Red Bull were going for the win. Um, and I'll be honest, I thought it was a bit ambitious <laughs> for Lewis to, to, to make up 22 seconds and then overtake after he had just had such a hard time overtaking him. I thought, I, uh, I personally thought it was the wrong thing for Mercedes to do. In hindsight, um, I don't think that, <laughs> for obvious reasons. So, yeah, it, it was it, it was an interesting one, very interesting. Um, sh- so should Max have pitted the next lap then? I think he should have done. He lost the race anyway, benefit of hindsight. I think he should have done. And he still pitted later anyways. That's true. He did still pit. Well, as soon as he got overtaken and he was going to be safe for, to Bottas behind him, he pitted anyway. So I think, you know, if Red Bull had thought about it quicker, they would have pitted him the next lap, but they just didn't have time. One thing that I found quite interesting today was obviously after this pit stop we are talking about, Lewis came out, I believe, in third and uh, needed to overtake his teammate, Valtteri Bottas. Um, Bottas was told over the over the radio that Sir was coming along, and uh, everyone must move when Sir comes along. Um, but he didn't, did he? Nope. What a shame. But okay, I, I was quite when because we were talking about this before it happened, and I was saying on our chat, I was like, if Bottas gets team orders here, I'm going to be so annoyed. It's round four. I now understand why he was given team orders because it was inevitable. So I do have to go back on my comments there. But I am glad that Valtteri sort of gave it a bit of a, okay, yeah, get past me, but I'm not going to make it easy for you because he was fighting his own race at that point. You know, nothing's inevitable in F1 senses. So he did eventually give him the place. You could see he gave him the place. He didn't fight it too hard. But I was just glad to see just a couple of corners of him sort of going, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, try harder, try harder. I'm not going to let you pass because we haven't seen that from him much. Yeah, I think the debate at the time was definitely, did Lewis need to make the overtake? Um, Did Lewis essentially need to uh, go offline or did it cost Lewis time trying to get past, which is what Mercedes didn't want? Um, Lewis has spoke out and he said it was completely fair. Um, This is after the race. And when Valtteri was interviewed, um, he said, I could have let him by earlier. He said, but I was doing my own race. So I was always calculating things. I was trying to get Charles off the pit window so I could stop again and try go for an extra point. The main thing in my mind was my own race. Matt? I think the point that we made in the chat still holds true uh, in that Valtteri Botas had a fairly long-standing bout with Charles Leclerc today, which he won to his credit. But at that stage of the race, Charles was two laps in from the pits. Is that correct? I don't remember what. Anyway, Valtteri Botas was trying to cover off the undercut by Charles Leclerc. At the end of the day, unless it is explicitly stated and it has to be done right now, it is not Valtteri Botas's job to get out of the way of Lewis Hamilton because he's still protecting, you know, the rear gunner role. I do understand somewhat Sir Hamilton's uh, frustration, but the same argument that we applied to Botas now must be applied to Hamilton. You've shown you have the pace. You've shown you are the class of the field. Go out there and earn it. Let Botas do his thing. He's not required to pull over, throw it neutral, and, you know, wave at you and blow you a kiss as you go by. 
So Lewis said uh, in an interview after the race, honestly, I didn't know he had a message. So in my mind, I was like, we're racing, and that's totally fine for me. So Lewis hadn't even been told to be let past. Um, he was just cracking on with it. In, in fact, he didn't know about any of this until after the race um, that there was speculation. I saw a lot of comments scrolling through Twitter just before we started recording this about how Valtteri should have had a penalty for ignoring blue flags. He wasn't a lap down. He was fighting Lewis for position, just to clear that up. Because I saw a lot of people online saying, oh, this is ridiculous. He should have had a penalty. He's holding his teammate up. He shouldn't be in the Mercedes. He's a lap down. He wasn't. He was fighting him for position, just to put that out there. There are people who don't understand the sport very well. Um, Maybe he should have had blue flags, actually. (laughs) <laughs> okay, not I agree with them. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that was that was about the other thing that happened. I do want to give a massive shout out to the mechanic that caught the the fresh tire puncture for Alfa Romeo. Uh, that fascinated me because we're talking about it once again in the chat. Which maybe we should start a live chat room for our races with the guests. That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, basically, was it Giovinazzi that came in for that stop, and yeah. they. Fit new mediums, and all of a sudden, you know, it looks like a brisk stop. They're going to get out of there quick, and you see the left side mechanic doing the cross. Bad stop, bad stop, and they had a puncture on one of the new sets of tires. And we were talking, you know, how the heck do you know that? And it's even more impressive to me because, as we were talking, when the vehicle's under a load, you'll see the wheel and tire sag. That means he was looking that intently at that tire with it not on the vehicle to see that and to have the huevos, the cojones to tell the whole team, nope, not doing it, and making the right call, kudos. Kudos, brilliant catch. That was a cool piece of mechanicing for me. I was going to say, th- those few extra seconds in the pit saved his race. That was an absolute stroke of genius by that mechanic because everyone thought, oh, what plonkers, they've put the wrong tyres out. Oh, my God, Antonio's last... And then they realised he had a puncture and they had to obviously run in and get some new tyres. But he would have been so much further down, as you said, Ollie. So that mechanic deserves some credit. I'd be very interested to know how on earth they had a tyre that was not um, inflated, sitting there ready to to go. I mean, okay, they have to... fill the tyres themselves, the teams, don't they? I think they already get them at the prescribed PSI, don't they? From Pirelli. Uh, Pirelli has an entire... Mr. Mario, shout out Mario, uh, Zolo's telling us, you know, they literally have an entire... uh, What's the word I'm going to look here? Like, basically a paddock just for Pirelli tyre fitters. Uh, They go there, they install the wheels onto the tyres backwards, install the tyres onto the wheels and inflate them and then deliver the allotment to the teams. Uh, I don't know if those are all done on the same day of or if those could be there at the beginning of the race weekend, which I believe they are. That's how they're able to track how many sets they have. However, who knows? And I don't remember seeing if it was a pinhole puncture. It could have been. I don't know. And it's something they need to look into because you should not be having that issue coming from the tire distributor. All of a sudden you slap it on the car and it could have blown out the end of the pit straight. Uh, so something. Not saying collusion or uh, sabotage there, but there's something amiss in the process somewhere. Ooh, that's a conspiracy, isn't it? And um, Alfa Romeo was sabotaged. No, I mean, Pirelli will have questions to answer to, as will Mario Rizzola, who we love to have, loved having on the podcast. But I don't think it was 
like it was definitely not flat i think with your pinhole point it must have been something like that because you could sort of see the mechanic you know smacking it just to sort of be like yeah definitely flat all right get a new one you know it wasn't like "Eh, what's that and then throwing it away he had to make sure but um yeah if he hadn't noticed it he would have been absolutely stuffed i may i may have just solved it uh the tires are transported back on those two or three deep uh wheel carriers they have and there are a lot of times if you look in the paddock where things are very, very tight together and they're going through the back of the garage entrances. I almost guarantee you that's something like a pop rivet on one of the uh, other stands, a loose hanging piece of metal, and that stand was going past at just the right angle and just you know the wrong proximity. That's about the only thing I could think of because the very, very small shot we had, there was no abrasion, there was no like a lead-in to that puncture. It was just a straight... So I almost get bet that's what it is, but that's conjecture. I'm no tire expert by any means, but just the two points on that. Uh, are they in tire blankets before they go into the garage at the start of the race, or do they then put them in tire blankets? Okay, they put them in tire blankets, I'm guessing, by your shaking my head. Understanding is, my understanding is they have the allotment out back, and they will pull for what they think they're going to need for that race. They still have spares on standby. Whenever they rotate in a set of tires into the actual garage, Thank you, Brits, making me say it. Garage, Murica, they then put it in the blankets to maintain the tire temperatures and pressures they like because they don't have, you know, 17 sets of tire blankets for all of them out there. Okay, if that is the case. That might be a question for one of our uh, insiders we have there, Ollie. If that is the case, how did they not notice then when they put the tire blanket on that there's a puncture? There's obviously someone somewhere hasn't done their job properly, whether it's Pirelli or at Alpha. Unless it wasn't fully deflated when it went on the, the shelf with the tie blanket on. The only person Which who did their job properly be. was that mechanic that spotted it. It's, I think Pirelli maybe got slightly away with this. Can you imagine if that happened to Verstappen or Hamilton, this would be front page news. Um, I've actually just checked some of the news sources to see if there is any sort of... Um, insight into what the cause was there isn't but i can guarantee you there would be by now if it was hamilton or uh, or uh, verstappen can you imagine if that tire got mounted and then it had a catastrophic failure at the end of the pit lane and tore apart that car uh you know they lost let's ballpark it and say they lost five seconds there they were very very quick on that recovery but if that tire had been installed and they went out of the pit lane not not only are you dealing with that blowout, but you're losing pace all the way around. Uh, so I, there, will, I'm sure there will be an internal investigation coming from Pirelli. They are very exacting. They are very precise in all that they do. Uh, there will be a learning curve from this. The only other point I have to make on this, which is just general for pit stops as a whole, in Sky, as we have it in the UK, Sky Broadcasting, normally they have Ted Kravitz on the pit roof. It was Karun Chandok this week. But obviously our feed is delayed just by a couple of seconds based on playback. So when you've got Karun or Ted on the line commenting on a pit stop, they always sort of go, oh, that stop was really good before we've seen the end of the stop. So it almost ruins the drama of a pit stop, like an, oh, could something go wrong? Because we find out before the pit stop actually ends, which I don't like. I know there's no way of getting around it, but hey-ho. Okay, I'll I'll feed that back to our friends at Sky for you, Dan. Looking at the final race results, you had car number nine finishing in 19th place. Two laps, he was lapped by the leaders. 
Uh, Mick Schumacher just ahead. Alonso in 17th, who actually said that he had a really good race uh, at the end of it. Uh, he enjoyed being there. Obviously, he had his Spanish fans as well. Only a 1,000 of them. Uh, Can you imagine if Fernando Alonso finished in that position when he was at McLaren a couple years ago? How different that post-race GP2, GP2. I, I, I agree. Yeah, it would be completely different. He's. I think it's because he got. He had the car today, and he could race. Um, and there, there's potential there, and I think he, he knows that. Uh, in fifteenth, we had Antonio Giovinazzi um, with George Russell just ahead. So that's a P14 for Russell. Russell looked really good for points until the last few laps, when he just dropped like a stone. He went from tenth to. 14th in what I felt like was about three seconds it obviously wasn't but another near miss for George they'll come eventually but not this weekend did we ever see what happened there because I I kind of had the same impression we were discussing you know we were watching uh the battle for six we were watching the chase down for the league with Lewis and Max and you know we were all making the comments like great stuff from George he's finally gonna get Williams points and it felt like I blinked oh he's in 14th did he have an off did he did we know what happened there he was in that train with Stroll, Alonso, Gasly, a couple of others. And then I think he just lost out to all of them based on tyre wear and everything. I don't think he went off. I think everyone just overtook him at once from a big DRS train that had happened. I think what we're seeing is George's, George's got it in him. But that Williams, whilst it's it's doing better this year... It just doesn't have the race pace. Um, you know, it, it does drop off. We've seen George in some incredible positions this year already, and he and he, he just can't keep that there. And it's no fault of his, I can I can guarantee you that. Dan? It's really affected by the uh, the elements as well, isn't it? This Williams car, by the looks of it. George Radio tie through the race and sounded quite panicked. He was like, oh, the wind's picking up, because he knew that was just, that would ruin him. You know, that's why the Williams went so well at Imola, because it's so protected not very windy trees everywhere around the circuit so exposed tracks they won't do too well at sorry before that we had Vettel in uh, 13th Matt you are the resident Sebastian Vettel fan what did you make of it I think once again uh, Seb is going to is behind the power curve we were talking earlier about the drivers and new cars I think Seb's still not settled that Aston Martin is nowhere near as good as I think we all thought it was going to be and he's being outdriven by Lance Stroll. Uh, makes me love him no less. Uh, he had a who do you have that brilliant pass on today uh, that had shades of old Seb with it? You know, I'm still finding moments to get excited about, but uh, yeah, not exactly challenging for the lead or even points at this point. But I will still back that man to the gates of the hell. And then in uh, P12, we had Kimi Raikkonen. Not another quiet weekend for Kimmy. Like there weren't any really big overtakes. I think it's just, you know, set the cruise control. Imagine what you're going to drink when the race is over and, you know, make sure you get good pictures for your son, Robin, out of Kimmy. I, I didn't, I honestly have almost no feedback on him because there was no coverages and no uh, real dramas with him that I saw. So uh, Vettel's teammate finished in 11th. Um, he's the only one so far to score any points. Uh, you know, Aston Martin have a grand total of five points, which doesn't exactly bode that uh, we're, <laughs> we're anywhere near where we were told they were going to be. Uh, but it must be said that, you know, Lance Stroll was looking very racy today, overtook Fernando Alonso twice, who granted was further down the grid. Uh, I think they're heading in the right direction. 
but without being able to do a copy pasta like they did last year, they may have a little bit of an uphill climb. But once again, the world turns upside down next year. Uh, absolutely. And they, they may well be one of these teams that's solely focused on next year um, because, let's be honest, they haven't lived up to our expectations at all. Dan? Um, in 2020, when the what was the racing point was revealed, everyone knew it or everyone was talking at the start of the season about how they were going for a one-season wonder car before the new regulations, which were meant to be this year. I think everyone's kind of forgotten that the regulations were pushed back and therefore it was likely they were going to have a worse car this year. Um, obviously, brake ducks, is it the brake ducks? But it was a lot was spoken about the how they've got a one-season wonder car. I think everyone's kind of forgotten that that was a thing. So I so didn't you're kind of saying them. that you, you feel... Do you feel Aston Martin to come out more competitive next year because they've had their eyes set on that for longer? Is that kind of what you're... I don't... Yeah, I think I think they'll be better next year than this year, but I never thought that they'd be challenging for third again this year based on last season. Okay. Uh, now we're into the points. One point was Pierre Gasly. I, I can't really recall anything from him this race. No, neither can I. He was in that big DRS train at one point. Um, he got that point right near the end, if I remember rightly. He overtook a couple of people and just nicked it away from Lance. But no, he had a pretty quiet race, trudging around. Oh, he did a slow stop. I remember he came in very slow stop. Two thirds of the way through, didn't he? And had quite a slow stop, but got a point. Better than nothing. Absolutely. And and again, I don't think we're seeing much from Alpha Tauri this year. They had an incredible year last year. It just seems like they're a bit behind the curve compared, doesn't it? They were so good in testing. They were brilliant. Everyone, well, not everyone, people were talking about them having the third fastest car. And they just haven't converted it at all. Gasly shows promising pace on Saturday. Yuki shows promising pace on, well, Friday normally. But they haven't converted it into points which is where they need to make this car work, and they haven't done it. And uh, what's weird as well is that Honda power unit is not struggling in atmospherics like they have in the past. It's been a very, very consistent performer. Obviously, look at the results Max is getting with it. Uh, I just wonder if it's something in the aero principles or even the balances may not be quite right. Uh, but what, like we were talking about, it doesn't help you at all when you have a, you know, a very, very long, exhausting stop like Pierre did. So then we move on to uh, Esteban Ocon. He finished in ninth. Obviously, that's one position down from where he qualified. Um, it, it wasn't a great result for him, was it, Dan? No, it wasn't. Um, I've said earlier in the podcast that I like Ocon. Um, I don't think it's a bad result, given that we all thought Alpine were going to struggle a lot in the first race. You know, it could have been better. Fairly solid. He needs a strong season this year to cement his place at that team for next year because I don't think Fernando's going to go anywhere because he wants to try out the new regulations. And then there's been rumours of Gasly to Alpine. There's been rumours of Bottas to Alpine as well. I don't I can't see that happening in a million years. But he really needs a strong season to make sure he keeps that seat for next year. And um, there's media reports going around. Toto Wolf has said that Alpine have first dibs on Ocon's future over Mercedes because he's, you know, that in that whole Mercedes family program. So I think he'll stay there for 2022. They like a French driver and a French team. So as long as he keeps up what he's doing, I can't see him going anywhere next year. 
So, yeah, he, he basically, if you look at it from qualifying into the race, he basically swapped places with um, Lando Norris, who started in ninth, finished eighth. Um, it wasn't it wasn't the Lando that we're used to, was it, today? No, he was my turbo driver on Fantasy as well, so I was hoping that he'd be further up, but he wasn't. So I've fallen down the Formula Nerds Fantasy League, which you can go to our Facebook to find the code. Um but it wasn't bad. You know, he was beaten by Ricardo, which I think is the first time this season he was beaten by Ricardo. He obviously struggled a bit today, but we know how good Lando is. He'll come back next weekend firing, I'm sure of it. Or not next weekend, two weeks' time in Monaco. And every driver that we've mentioned so far, so we are up to, uh, the next one is number seven, but every single one of them was lapped. So Lando Norris finished a lap down that is just mind-boggling to me um but as we move forward uh, carlos Sainz, uh, matt do you want to cover carlos i would actually like to cover the next three <laughs> positions uh we had carlos Sainz finishing in seventh first year in a ferrari we had daniel ricardo finishing sixth first year in a mclaren and we had checo finishing fifth first year in a red bull uh they're starting to get settled in. And we're also starting to see just how close these three drivers in particular are. We're starting to see these guys settle into the cars and just how close they really are. Uh, almost every weekend, it starts to see like these three are coalescing towards each other. And as the season develops, I anticipate a lot more exciting racing, specifically in this portion of the grid. Uh, I also feel that towards the end of the year, these will be the three deciding drivers for second and third and constructors. Uh, you know, Max and Lewis, and I guess that other guy from Mercedes, uh, will be up there doing their best to dictate things at the top end. But the best of the rest will be decided by these three because the number one drivers uh, for Ferrari, McLaren, and Red Bull are all going to be there doing their best. Uh, really exciting stuff. Great to see them settling in and giving us a heck of a show today. Absolutely. And it was great pace from Perez, really, wasn't it? Because he didn't qualify very well. No, I think Perez is just about doing what Red Bull need him to do. Just. He's doing better than Albon or Gasly did when they were in that seat. But he's no Ricardo. Like when Ricardo was in that seat, they still don't have two drivers gunning for the victory. Maybe later in the season when Perez has got to grips with the car, but, you know, they may be challenging for the victory. Um, but he's just about doing what um, Red Bull needed him to do. And then a note on Ricardo as well. I can't remember if it was in Ted's notebook, which is the best thing to ever exist, by the way, or another programme somewhere. But they were saying how Ricardo said he was struggling to adapt to the high-rev Mercedes engine compared to the low-rev-style Alpine uh, Renault engine, sorry. So he's sort of got grips with that quite well that i thought that was quite interesting how he was struggling with the engine over the car i think it's worth pointing out that out of those drivers you know carlos Sainz is being outperformed by his teammate charles leclerc he's who's been there longer obviously Checo's going to get outperformed by max verstappen lando norris is a very 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 good driver and it's very telling to me to see dan ricardo beat him not not so soundly or he didn't embarrass lando today at all but Daniel Ricciardo is coming to grips with that car at a level surpassing, I feel, even Carlos Sainz and Daniel uh, Jeebus, uh, Checo going forwards. Uh, <laughs> wow, that was really hard to keep straight for a minute there. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo as well, you know, 
you talking about the revs, uh, I also pay attention to that segment. And, you know, short shifting through the turns is normal uh, just to kind of keep the traction down. I think just having a more solid platform under him, able to cope with the Gs and actually put the power to the tarmac is paying dividends for Daniel Ricciardo. Now he's able to extract more of it and realize that, oh, if I shift right before the red line, I don't have to worry about the back end breaking loose or, you know, a loss of downforce. He's able to drive through the corner which suits his style. He is the last of the late breakers. We all know that, but he's also very, very good at opening up for a perfect exit coming out of that, which he's shown today as well. Daniel Ricardo is going to be, if McLaren takes third place this year, it will be because of Daniel Ricardo, not because of Lando, not because of Carlos, not because of Charles. Daniel Ricardo will be the deciding factor in that. It's a big comment. Uh, to say right now, you know, um, Danny Ricardo is in seventh in the Drivers' drivers Championship with 24 points. And you got Norris um, in fourth with 41. It's not a huge difference, but after four races, it that's the sort of thing that shows the difference. However, I totally agree with you, Matt. It will be Danny Rick that, that, that comes alive this year. We have mentioned the number four driver of... Lando. How was Matt, uh, would you like to tell us who was in uh, fourth today? Charles Leclerc, once again, uh, damn. Just, I don't know how he's doing this. I have been saying that since midway through the season last year. Uh, he's not on the pace with the front three. We know that. I honestly feel he's not. Why does that sound like Kermit the Frog? I honestly feel. He doesn't even have the pace, I feel, of the McLarens behind him on race day. He's putting himself in the correct positions to separate from them, and he's not had any quaffles yet on strategy or pit stops. Uh, Charles Leclerc, Mr. Consistency, not a single foot wrong that I can see so far. I want to be so mad at Charles Leclerc because he damned Bottas' race by getting ahead of him, but I can't. He's I like him as a person. He's a brilliant driver. Oh, I want to be so annoyed at him, but he, he deserved fourth today, unquestionably. He deserves that Ferrari to give him a car that means he can challenge for the world title because he's definitely talented enough to win one. I think what you've got to you've got to remember is he held off a Mercedes car for God knows how many laps. And the Ferrari, okay, it's better than it was last year, but it shouldn't do that, should it? It's it, it, that shows you Leclerc is a solid driver. Um if it, if it was Hamilton in, in uh, behind him, it wouldn't have taken that long, would it? You don't oh, know yet. You not. don't know that. But I would say that Charles Leclerc is every bit as good, if not better, than Valtteri Bottas. No, Charles Leclerc is better than Valtteri Bottas. I'm not going to be impartial here. Charles Leclerc is straight up better. Uh, yeah. He had that Ferrari in a podium place today. I may or may not have hit puberty again during the race start when he actually got in front of him. Uh, my voice cracked. My dogs are probably still bleeding from the ears from the screams of excitement. Uh, I heard them from I, England. I cannot fault them. Yeah, right? I, I cannot fault the man. He has an amazing personal story. He's just lovable. And much like Michael Italiano, he's just so dang good looking too, man. There's nothing you can fault <laughs> this man on. <laughs> and, and his brother's now doing well in F3, isn't he? Yeah, Arthur is Arthur. Knocking, mm-hmm. knocking his stuff around in F3. Well, we can't talk about how good looking he is and then use the phrase knocking his stuff around, Dan. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'm, I'm just going to continue on. Uh, and then, yes, as we probably have uh, realised by now, you have Bottas finishing in third. In fact, it was it was how they qualified. I mean, the race wouldn't suggest that, but uh, it was Valtteri in third, uh, Max in second, and Hamilton taking the win. 98th win, I believe. So, uh, well done, Hamilton. It was his 98th win. It's a very, 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 very outside chance, if something goes wrong, that he's going to take his 100th win at Silverstone in front of, hopefully, a capacity crowd. But that's such an unlikely... But how great would that be for British fans? You know, I'm not a Hamilton fan, but I would love to see that. Just history being made once again. You say say you're not a Hamilton fan, but I think you are respectful of his greatness. I'm yeah, I'm I wouldn't root for him in a race, but I'm not one of those people that's going to be like eh, it's just the car. You know, he is th- I think the greatest driver that's been in F1 ever. And I can't not respect and acknowledge that. I it's impossible. As a Tafosi, I have laid awake at night having nightmares about Lewis Hamilton passing Sebastian Vettel. <laughs> I have cursed him. I have wished ill will upon him. I have prayed for punctures. I may even take up voodoo at some point if Ferrari ever gets a uh, competitive car again. But at the end of the day, I mean, in that same moment, I'm mad. And then you have to just sit back and go, what are you going to do? Wow. We are blessed as a sport to watch him. And to everybody, I'm so sick of seeing this comment. Everybody, oh, it's the same little blurry guffle and Hilton wins again. Just turn it off. I'm sick and tired of hearing about you. I'm tired of waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning and do moderating alerts about it's the same old boring F1. He was incredible today. He's been incredible since he came into the sport. If you can't appreciate what is going on and the level at which he is executing, uh, this is the wrong sport for you, period. Absolutely. And I think there are races where Lewis has started on pole, and just just led and just had a had what we would consider a boring race where he just starts in pole and wins it, no drama. He's not getting that this year. And on paper, yes, he's won three out of four, but he's having to work for it, which is actually what we've all wanted as F1 fans. And Max Verstappen's a brilliant driver, absolutely brilliant. But we are seeing the Clash of the Titans right now, which is Hamilton having to work again for what what for what he's getting. And if anything, I think it's making him even better. Yeah, I'm a I'm a massive Bottas fan, as everyone knows, but I've never been more excited for a season as this one is. The start of every race, it's those two in the first corner, wheel to wheel, battling it out, strategies coming in throughout the whole race. One is constantly closing the other down. We haven't had this. Bottas hasn't been able to do it, and that pains me to say. But even as a Bottas fan, I'm so excited for these two to bout it out for 19 more races or however many we have. And I think as if, a Ferrari fan, we have Ferrari has no chance this year. I know, acknowledge, and accept that. But if you can't get excited about the possibility of Max on Lewis going into turn one, week in, week out, and knowing that that's not the be all end all of it either, you know, I feel Max maybe not could have pulled off this drive today. It would have been very, very close. But to know that that chase down is always present, is always a possibility, has to excite you as a fan, period. I think if if Perez can get to grips with his Red Bull, which he's starting to do, I think what we're going to see is uh, Red Bull coming back because 
Perez can play a huge part in holding Hamilton back in the right circumstances. Both of these drivers are dependent on their teammate at times. And I think um, I think at the moment, Bottas isn't supporting Hamilton. And also, Perez isn't supporting uh, Max. So once they, once they get there, it could really spice up. I, I don't agree with that. I think Bottas is doing exactly what he needs to do to support Hamilton. He's get, If he's getting P3 every week, or even P2 some weeks, that is all Mercedes will want him to do. They won't want him to do any more than that. And he does not get enough credit for how close he is to Hamilton on Saturdays. Perez is miles behind Verstappen. Sainz is even quite a long way behind Leclerc. And I know they're in new cars, Matt. That's what you're about to say. <laughs> but... <laughs> Go on, go on. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, I feel that Ricardo, Sainz, Leclerc, Checo could close that gap just as well as Botas is. Uh, I truly feel nobody wants to be a number two driver. You don't get to F1 and go, yeah, I'll, I'll be second fiddle. You want me to just block people behind you? <laughs> Pay me. No, these guys have that killer instinct. But at the end of the day, you know, Daniel Ricciardo, I feel, would be right there with Lewis Hamilton. I also feel that he would be giving him more of a run for his money on Saturday with this amount of time in the car. Uh, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I'm going to nanner nanner boo boo at Dan. You know, my prediction was correct today, with the exception of I had Ricardo and Perez backwards. And that those number twos in the new cars are showing more fight, I feel, than Botas in the leading number two. And that could just be perception. That could be the fact that I just love busting Dan's chops. But I feel there's still more he needs to do there. There's more he can do there. There's nearly 50 points between Lewis and Valtteri now. Um, <laughs> Say that a bit louder, Dan. <laughs> that's, that's not good. Um, but, but there's no other way of putting this. In order to have any chance of winning this championship, Bottas needs Hamilton and Verstappen to crash at the first corner, and then he wins. It's the only way he's going to come back into this championship. Twice. He's, well, yeah. <laughs> and we're only on the fourth race, so he needs that to happen twice. Yeah. Um, I don't even... I'm not going to bother with that point because I'm just going to waffle in it and annoy everyone. Speaking of the points differentials, you know, right now we're sitting at... Lewis is at 94 points, Max is at 80. That's, that's still doable. That's still spicy. That's still fun. For me, though, personally, once again, the flipping McLaren-Ferrari battle is the class of the field right now. Lando Norris, who had a, had a little bit of a rough day today, is sitting on 41 points. Mr. Consistency, you all can do the math. Charles yeah. is on 40 points. No, no, sorry. You, how, how far ahead is Bottas on Norris? I don't even know. How many points does Bottas have at the moment? Bottas is on 47. Norris is on 41. Bottas had a retirement through no fault of his own, though. Please don't laugh like that. <laughs> He's six points ahead of somebody in a McLaren. McLaren and Ferrari are separated only by five points. McLaren has the edge. Lando has the edge on Charles by one point. But honestly, if this is any indication of where these teams are going to be at the end of the season, we might just turn off the front of the race. Let's just watch fourth and fifth place and have fun with it. It's Formula 1.5, isn't it? So let's do our race ratings and drivers of the day. Uh, Dan, we're going to start with you, sir. 
race rating six and a half if i can do halves six and a half it wasn't particularly good for on track action but it was very good from the strategic side james vowels needs a lot of credit for what he did today with that mercedes strategy it was high risk and high reward driver of the day i'm torn between hamilton and leclerc but uh, i'm gonna give it to leclerc because hamilton benefited from james vowels rather than himself leclerc's was all his own work okay thanks I've for your it. opinion i've said it <laughs> um matt what was uh what's yours i'm torn uh we'll go with race rating first uh race rating i'm gonna give that a solid especially considering it's spain i'm gonna give that a solid seven out of ten for me the technical side of things the strategy calls the drama and just seeing the overall racecraft elevated, it was it was a fun race. That's the first race in Spain I can remember staying awake all the way through for in a long time. <laughs> Driver of the day. This one hurts me and all he knows why. Uh, I had said that if Checo got the pass done, I would give him my driver of the day. And he did not at the end. I think just to ruffle feathers and admit that I have been wrong for so long and admit the comeuppance of this man, I'm going to give it to Lance Strut. To Lance Strut. To Lance Stroll. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. Hold up. <laughs> what is going on? Who has got you held hostage to say that? There's actually a gun right here. You just can't yeah. see the screen. Uh, you know, I feel that a lot of the other drivers up top in the, in the order – didn't really do anything outside of what we expected. What I know is asinine to say after singing Lewis Hamilton's praises. Uh, but I think, A, everybody else is going to give him that vote. And I was today was the first day I can say I have been awestruck by Lance Stroll. That move on Fernando Alonso will go down in the annals of Aston Martin racing history, in my opinion. He did not put a foot wrong all weekend. You know, Charles... Love you, dude. I really love you for making Botas have a crap race, but I, I'm going to give it to Stroll just to be an outlier and as a, a penance for me being wrong so many times before and not acknowledging the evolution of his racecraft. I'm going to agree with Matt. It was a 7 out of 10. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't expect to enjoy it, which which potentially put a, a 6 to a 7. Um, and uh, my driver of the day will be uh, Sir Lewis Hamilton, um, who had to get his hands dirty today. So we will be back talking about racing in two weeks. We've got a guest coming up fairly soon by the name of Jordan King. I'm really looking forward to that one. Spicy. So until then, we are signing off. Matt, thank you very much, sir. Thank you for having me. And to all of the uh, podcast supporters, please leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on the Cut to the Race podcast Facebook group so you can tell us what we're doing great, what we're doing wrong, how wrong Dan is, and how much you love all of us here and what we're doing. Absolutely. Make you make, make sure you get there. Um, and Dan, the Bottas fan, thank you, sir. Thank you. For those of you that want to tell me how right I am, also go to the links that Matt said. And yeah, don't forget to check out our website because we have all of the news. We've got an incredible team of writers here at the Formula Nerds, of which Dan is one. Um, so I make sure write you... a lot more sense than I say. <laughs> yeah, no one's ever going to visit there now, are they? Um, that is formulanerds.com. 
save it, put it in your bookmarks, set it on your home screen, be there. Until next time, thank you very much. Podcast Network.